good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's good to be able to share the word with you as well today. We're going to be in second, no, first Kings, first Kings chapter three. We'll be in first Kings chapter three. So if you turn in your Bibles with me there, that's where we'll spend the majority of our time today. First Kings chapter three. You know what a, a lift pump is? Do you, do you know what a sewer lift pump is? Some of you know well what that is. Imagine, you know, it's a, clue, a clear, crisp, early morning, downtown Brooklyn, cars honking everywhere, right? Traffic everywhere. And there in the middle of the street, they have uh, the manhole cover removed and a few cones, and there's, there's some men dressed in... Uh, protective equipment, you know, PPE, you've heard a lot about that with COVID going on. Well, this, this probably is a step above what your face mask will do for you. Um, but they're having to, to go down into the manhole to help clear blocked sewage. But, but this group is a little bit different because there just happens to be a camera crew with them as well. And the, the film, the tape is rolling. And so you get to go along for the ride, right? And, and the guy that hosts this show tells of these varied, dirty jobs that he gets to experience. And maybe you've seen some of those. He, he tells another story, not in Brooklyn, but of in San Francisco where he got to deal with one of these sewage lift pumps. And it, it happened to be a five-story silo that goes down into the ground. And then at the bottom, there's a pump. And what does that pump do? Well, that pump is supposed to take all the sewage at the bottom and take it all the way to the top. But what happens when that pump fails? Someone has to go down there and attach a cable to the pump and bring it out. And, and you probably know the guy's name, Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs, tells of these stories. And you even get to experience these stories with him. And... Uh, he says that was, in his mind, probably the dirtiest job of all the dirty jobs that he ever did, <laughs> was working just with human waste and sewage and filming it so that all of us could watch, right? So let me ask you a question. Why would a man do that? <laughs> Why would he go down five-story silo and uh, hang on to a sewage pump because he's not hired by, you know, the sewage company and bring a camera and show people dirty jobs. Why would he do that? For the money? For the fame? I think there's easier ways to do that, right? <laughs> well, Mike Rowe tells why he does what he does. He, he, he tells us why he started foundations like the Mike Rowe Works Foundation it's because he realizes that in our country, there's a shortage, and there's a shortage of something specifically, and it's not sewage pumps necessarily. The, the shortage is actually a shortage of skills. There's a shortage of skill sets of people that are able to do these types of works. These types of work that, that take knowledge, it takes hands-on knowledge, right? It's not just something you can sit behind a desk and do. You're getting out there and you're getting dirty. And so he realizes there's a, there's a gap in the skill space. And so how he introduces all of his shows, Dirty Jobs, he says, my name's Mike Rowe and this is my job. I explore the country looking for people who aren't afraid to get dirty. 
hardworking men and women who earn an honest living doing the kinds of jobs that make civilized life possible for the rest of us. Now get ready to get dirty, is how he starts. And so he realizes there's something lacking in our society, in our culture, and that is skill, specific skill sets. And when we come to 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to also see that there's another type of skill or skill set that I would say is lacking in our culture and our society today. And it's a word that you know if you have any knowledge of the Bible, and it's the word wisdom. Because who we're looking at today is actually King Solomon. And what was King Solomon known as? He was known as the wisest man who ever lived. Also, the richest, wealthiest king of his era, of his time. And we read Solomon's writings and we see very quickly that he also realized that there was a shortage of this skill of wisdom. But it's, it's not, it's not a earthly wisdom, as we're going to see. What Solomon gains here in this chapter and then also speaks of in many other places in his writings is a heavenly wisdom. And that there's a shortage, really, of heavenly wisdom in our society today. And we, we could even say maybe there's a shortage of heavenly wisdom in the church because we look at our own lives and say, wait a minute, I need to grow in this area as well. So that's what we'll be looking at today. The title, the, I've titled this sermon, Heavenly Wisdom in a Heathen World. Heavenly Wisdom in a Heathen World. And, and we're going to look at Solomon's actually prayer, dream, request to God for wisdom and how God answered that. But also look at some of Solomon's shortcomings and what we can learn from those as well. So we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 3, heavenly wisdom in a heathen world. So what is wisdom then? If you're going to define wisdom, how would you define it? Well, we've already talked about this a little bit, and really at its basic meaning is the word skill, and it fits right in together. In other words, uh, remember when they built the temple, the tabernacle, all of those things, but specifically the temple, they chose skilled men, and those men were skilled or had wisdom in certain areas. And what were some of those? Some of them were gold laying or gold encoding. Some of them were the stone and masonry works that, that happened. And so just as its very basic sense, wisdom means that you have a skill, that you have the ability to do something practically, apply something practically. I love working with my hands. It gets me into trouble, but that's the fun thing about working with your hands. You can't make it more broke than it already is, right? Sometimes you can, but it's still fun to do, right? <laughs> to at least attempt to grow in that skill. And so that, that's really the basic meaning of wisdom, but when it comes to biblical wisdom or what I'm going to call heavenly wisdom today, that, that narrows it down even more. It, and it has the idea still of skill, but it, it's directly related to your relationship with God. And if you think of wisdom, it's really taking what you know about God as God has revealed himself, not as you've made it up, but as God has revealed it, and then being able to apply what you know about God to everyday situations. That's wisdom, that you're, you're taking what you know about God and applying it to really everyday situations. It's using the skill, really, of application even. So if that's what wisdom is, and that's what heavenly wisdom is, then I'd ask you a third question. Do you think... There's a lot of heavenly wisdom in our world today. Let, let's ask just a little more introspective question. 
do you feel that you are good at applying God's word to your own heart and life? Now, you don't have to answer out loud, but just want you to think of that question as we start. Are you good, are you skillful at applying God's word to your own heart and life? And when I ask myself that question anyways, I I have to take a little bit of pause and think, wait a minute, that's sometimes a little bit harder to do, right? When it comes down to the nitty gritties of life. Sometimes you just wish, God, just reveal everything in your word, right? Tell me uh, what job to have, who to marry, all those things. But God doesn't give us that. Instead, he reveals himself and says, use wisdom. Use heavenly wisdom to live out your life. So that's why we're looking at here then the book of First Kings, First Kings chapter three. So that's the introduction on wisdom itself. Brief introduction on why are we in First Kings? What's happening right now? Well, First and Second Kings. What's it about? Yes, Kings. Yes. Thankfully, it's right there in the title, so it's not incredibly hard. I remember that. Okay. So First and Second Samuel, we're looking at the reigns of Saul and David. We come into First Kings. David is now coming off the scene. And we get to chapter 3, really chapter 2 is where David's challenging Solomon. And here in chapter 3, we see Solomon now coming onto the scene as king. And then the rest of 1st and 2nd Kings has to deal with prophets. It actually has a lot to say about prophets. You remember Elijah and Elisha? A quarter of 1st and 2nd Kings have to do with them. And so what do we see? There's a lot of prophetic warnings and judgments that are happening in First and Second Kings as well. Why do you think that is in a book called Kings? Why does it have so much to do about the prophets? You know, it's because the kings weren't doing what they're supposed to. <laughs> it's because they quickly fell away from God. They didn't even know God, let alone how to apply God's wisdom to their lives. And so the prophets have to come onto the scene to remind them, this is what God wants of you. And so that's kind of where we're at in history. Now we're looking at Solomon coming right after David. This is early on when he was, you know, early in his kingship, if you want to look at that. And it says, we're going to read the first 15 verses of 1 Kings 3. Would you follow along as I read out loud? And it says in 1 Kings 3, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord unto those days. And Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for for that was the great high place, A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. This is where it starts. And God said, ask, what shall I give thee? And Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. According as he had walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept him for this great kindness that thou hast given given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And here's his request. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child and know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant 
is in the midst of thy great people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech blessed the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and have not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked riches for thyself, nor hast thou asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there is none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And... If thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. So here Solomon receives heavenly wisdom in the midst of a heathen world. We're actually going to come back to the first three verses. We're going to start in verse 5, and we'll come back to the first three verses because the first three verses talk about the heathen world that Solomon was living in at the time. That was one of Solomon's failures that we note. We're actually going to address that then at the end. So first, I'd I'd like to look at the humility to access wisdom. Humility to access this heavenly wisdom. That's the first point we'll look at. And this is in verses 5 through 9 where God comes to Solomon in a dream. Now, some would say this is a vision, or some would just say it's a dream. And Solomon, in God's goodness and sovereignty, God gave this opportunity to Solomon and also helped him respond in the right way since it is a dream. But we still see in this, Solomon had a right disposition or heart towards it because of what he asked for. And to access wisdom, to access heavenly wisdom, If you want it, what is it going to take? What's it going to take for you or for me to get heavenly wisdom from God? Well, there's humility involved. And that's really, I think, what this whole section, this story shows, that God's really the one initiating and acting and doing it. And Solomon is responding just with a heart of humility. So what does that look like? Well, back in verse 5, God gives an offer. And what is this offer? It's really an offer that we would call a blank check. How would you like to get a blank check from Bill Gates? Or that way you could spend the money how you think he should spend it currently, right? Or uh, Jeff Bezos. Those men we look at and say, they're wealthy, Their wealth is in the billions of dollars. If they gave a blank check, do you think they could follow through with it? I mean, they have the the physical means to do that. Here in verse 5, imagine this, God giving you a blank check. And this is God of the universe, the creator of all. 
Do you think he can fulfill it? It's not just money you can ask for now. It, it's all of creation at God's, in God's hands. So if you are in Solomon's position here, not that any of us are going to attain to the statue of Solomon, but what do you think your heart would initially ask for? Would, you know, would it not go to people that you love? I want to take care of them. I want to make sure they're cared for, whether it's spiritually or physically. Or your, your own needs. Do you have any needs in your life right now? In other words, uh, have you gotten stressed out this past week because you didn't have something you thought you needed or you wanted or needed in that time? And here a blank check from God is presented. And if you think of all the things that we in our natural human state would ask for, and yet Solomon, he asks for wisdom, for understanding, to know God and to know his ways. You see, that, that's a big deal, that first God really has to offer. And we see this in other passages too. God is the one from where wisdom comes out of, from which all wisdom flows. And so if you want wisdom, you have to realize it's true wisdom, heavenly wisdom, it's going to come from God. And the source is found in God. It's not going to be found in anyone else or any other person or any other being. It's found in God. So that's where we have to seek it from. Notice what else, though, Solomon did in the midst of this blank check offer. In verse 6, Solomon's first response was not, oh, I have a blank check, let's go spend it. What was his first response to God? It was actually God's goodness exalted. So we see first God's offer, then in verse 6, God's goodness exalted. Immediately, what Solomon does in verse 6 is he says, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. In other words, Solomon, it's like he takes a step back and says, God, I want to thank you for your character, for who you are, for what you've done, really for your goodness to me, to my father. According as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness. In other words, all characteristics of God that David then was able to display to his son Solomon. And this is what Solomon first goes towards. So if we want wisdom, got to get it from God, but then realize that it's not just wisdom that we're after. It's really God himself that you have to be after. And we'll come back to that at the end as well. That it's his character, his goodness, his greatness that you want to know and then, be, and then put on display for others to see. That's how heavenly wisdom is going to be able to work itself out in your life. And then humility, or we could also say man's insignificance is displayed. So in contrast to God's goodness, Solomon then looks at himself in verses 7 through 9, and he, he sees his own insignificance. He sees himself as yet a little child, middle of verse 7. I know not how to go out or come in. So let me ask you a question. Does it take skill to open a door? In other words, on a very small level. And I would say absolutely does. And how do I know this? I have a three-year-old in my house right now. And what do we have on all of our doors? Especially the ones leading to the garage, out back, and out front. There's not just your deadbolt. There's not just your doorknob lock. High above all of those, literally, 
is yet another lock. And some of them screw like up into the door frame, some of them slide, one is a chain. But there are ones where Ezzy is not able to reach unless he finds a chair and scoots it over there, but don't tell him that, okay? <laughs> because it takes some skill to open those locks to go out, to come in, to get through a door. And Solomon's humility here is, I'm, I'm not even like a child that I, that I can even open the door. In other words, Lord, I have nothing. I, I don't even know what to do. It's, it's almost at a place of desperation we see in, in the next few verses because uh, in verse 7, what, what is he in charge of? If I'm a little child and I don't even know how to go in and out, you know, that, that's, that's my power, that's my strength, that's my skill. And here's the problem, here's the issue. Multitudes and multitudes of people that I'm supposed to rule over, that I'm supposed to help, that I'm supposed to uh, be king over, and I'm supposed to do all that? In other words, it's, it's set up as an impossible task in Solomon's mind. So he realizes his own state, his own humility, and he realizes that there is a great task or a great problem that lies ahead. So my question for you and for me is, do you realize your own limitations? Do you realize your own weaknesses when it comes to actually knowing the mind of God? And do you realize that there is a great task ahead? You may not get to rule, I may not get to rule thousands of people, but has God placed you put you in, a, in this life to do something, to have a task, to follow his will. Absolutely. That's why you're a disciple, a believer, a follower of Christ. He has called us all to a great task. And so there is a need for this humility and realizing it's God's offer, it's God's goodness, and I'm insignificant even though there's a great task ahead. So this is how we access this wisdom. It's through this type of humility that God then is able to give heavenly wisdom to his people. You know what James 5, 1, 5 says, right? If any of you lack wisdom, do any of us lack wisdom? I'll let you answer that. So there's a realization, a, a humility there. I, I lack something. Let him, what? Ask of God. It not let him go uh, search out social media and go through the comment section and find that gem that has been voted to the top as the wisdom that's going to solve everything. Not as share this YouTube video that tells everyone else how to fix the world's problems, right? No, where is, it's, it's let him ask of God. The source there is in a God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. What is that idea of liberally? He freely gives it. Upbraideth not means he's not going to hold any grudges against you. In other words, you come to him as a meek, humble, little child that can't even open a door. And if you ask, God's still going to give you wisdom. God still is going to give you that understanding, that heavenly wisdom because that's the promise in the end of the verse, and it shall be given him. So you want wisdom? It comes through this type of humility to access the wisdom that God offers. 
What does Proverbs 9.10 say? Another very familiar verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Let me ask you a more basic question. Are you afraid of anything? Do you have any fears in your life? What does fear cause you to do? Just in as the most basic sense. People respond differently to fear, right? So say a bear is charging at you. What are you going to do? Shoot it, okay? That's one way to respond to fear. I'm going to tackle this problem head on. Still motivates you to action. What's another way to respond to the bear? Play dead, right? That's what they always tell you. Cover yourself in barbecue sauce, get into a tortilla, play dead. The bears love it. Who wrote that rule? The bears, obviously, right? You play dead. That's still an action, though. It's still, it immobilizes you. Some people are paralyzed by fear, right? What would be the third option? Run for your life, right? Can you outrun a bear? Can you outrun your friend if you trip them first? Okay. That's wisdom. No, I'm kidding. That's not a skill. <laughs> So there's, there's different ways to respond, but in each case, fear causes you to respond to the situation, right? There's an action on your part. When it comes to the fear of the Lord, at its basic sense, really the fear of the Lord is taking God seriously. It's taking God at his word and saying, yeah, I believe it, I'm going to act on it. That's the fear of the Lord. In other words, if you truly fear the Lord, it's, it's going to motivate you in some way. It's going to have an effect in your life. It's going to show itself in our lives when we actually fear the Lord. And Solomon is writing, that is the beginning of wisdom. So humility to access wisdom that is only found in God. So we're looking at heavenly wisdom in a heathen world. We've looked at the humility we need to access God Secondly, we're going to look at verses 10 through 14 and see that God blesses wisdom. In other words, when it comes to heavenly wisdom, God is pleased with those who desire it. We see that through the life of Solomon in verses 10 through 14. Notice with me down in verse 10 of 1 Kings chapter 3, where it says, And the speech, that is Solomon's speech, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Can you please God? Now, coming from a Baptist preacher who, who teaches faith is the only way to salvation, and I ask the words, can you please God? You may think, wait a minute, we can't earn our way to heaven. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about trying to gain God's favor. God's favor is because of who he is, not because of who we are. But just as a father is pleased with his son when he obeys when he calls him daddy, when he snuggles up on the couch with him, when they do projects together, just spending time together, there's, there's a pleasing for the father in a relationship like that with the son. We too, by our actions, the result of what Christ has done, of us, done in us can please God as well. And here, because of Solomon's response, God is pleased. So let me ask you a question. Do you want God to be pleased with you? I don't know about you, but that, that's a desire of my heart, even though I fail in so many ways and, and come short. But yet, 
the desire for heavenly wisdom and asking God for that is something that God here is pleased with, that it's a good thing. Notice also that God, in his blessing this wisdom, he fulfills Solomon's request for specifically wisdom. And that's verses 11 and 12. God gives wisdom. Where where God said unto Solomon, because thou hast asked this thing and not asked for who? Thyself. So God sees his heart and sees the difference between what he's asking for it's not asking just for thyself but really to know god and to know his ways better neither hath thou asked for riches or life of thine enemies why would a king ask for something like that well take care of the enemies and a lot of your problems go away right (laughs) in fact in the previous chapter solomon speaks of his wisdom but it's an earthly wisdom where he tries to go out and and defeat other armies and, and it's not done all in the proper way. Here, God is saying, because you haven't asked for those things, but asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, really that idea of skill to discern, behold, I have done according to thy word. God grants him his desire. And his desire is fulfilled in the two words of wise and understanding. Very companion words, but, but it, it, it includes knowledge. You have to know about a situation, but also understand a situation. Is there a difference? Yeah. <laughs> we know about a lot of situations, don't you? If you read the news, you know about them. Do you understand everything that's happening? I sure don't, because you don't always know if your knowledge is correct, right? So to know something, yet there's another level to understand it, and then wisdom is then applying God to that situation, if we're talking about heavenly wisdom. And God says, I will grant that request. But even above and beyond that, God keeps on going and says, because you've asked really for me and for wisdom to know how to lead, I'm going to give you something even beyond that. I'm going to keep it on, and that's what happens in verse 13, where God gives riches and honor. In other words, God loves to bless children that he's pleased with. Again, I'm not teaching prosperity gospel here. But do you want to be blessed of God? Do you want to be pleased? Do you want God to be pleased with you? And I'm talking to believers here. Please understand, if, if you don't know Christ, this, this is going to seem like a works-based religion, and that's not the point here at all. That's not what we believe. But instead, the desire here is to, is to have the right desires, to desire God, to know his will and his way, and then trust him for the blessings. And so God blesses Solomon with riches and honor, and it, it goes into all of those things. And, and he says, there's not going to be anyone else like you. Do you know what Solomon had in his kingdom? We know about the temple, right? He was able to get that built. took seven years, a beautiful temple, golden vessels, silver, uh, overlay, beautiful wood, all of that. That was just one of his building projects. You realize that? He, he had his own palace. He had a hall of just like armory equipment. It had a whole bunch of golden shields on the wall because why not? If you have all this gold, just put it up there. Um, he built a lot of places for all of his wives. We'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But it it was, he was really at that point, the wealthiest man on earth. 
and he had then again amazing power and influence. Remember, people were also coming to his kingdom to say, did I hear right? Are you really as wise as you say you are? And then they left amazed. And this was all because of God's blessing, blessing specifically because of his request for wisdom. But notice, even in God's blessing, God gives a condition. There's an if in verse 14. Where he says, I'm going to bless you with all of these things because you've asked for me and asked in the right way and asked in humility and asked for wisdom. He said, if you will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Did Solomon remember or heed this? Well, in some ways, throughout his life he did. We see at the end, not always. He wrote about it later, I think directly from this experience, because Proverbs 9, 9 through 11, we already read verse 10, but listen to that whole section where Solomon writes, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Notice that there has to be a righteousness and a, and a desire for that before even wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me, that is wisdom, thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. So why do uh, women live longer than men? We won't say who's wiser, but you've seen the fail videos, right? You've seen the men try to climb uh, stepladders stacked on top of each other. Or, hey mom, watch this, final words, right? Before heading to the hospital. <laughs> and what's lacking there? We often say, you know, young men, I'll put myself in that group, that's okay, so I can talk about myself. They, uh, they don't always do what? They don't always think. <laughs> Because you've had, if you have kids, you've definitely gone up. It's, or if you've been a kid, you've probably been asked this. What were you thinking? And what is the typical male response from ages 18 to 22? I don't know. I wasn't. And I can only say that because I worked for college, with college guys for eight years. <laughs> so, and I was there myself. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. And so what happens? The years of thy life shall be increased. There's just a real practicality to it. Let's be honest. <laughs> If you aren't wise, you're probably going to do something stupid that, that may decrease your life expectancy. So there's a very practical thing there. But this is also a promise from God. And that's, that's what I'm going to get at, that God is blessing this condition that if you're going to follow after me, there is blessing involved. So God blesses wisdom. So we've looked at humility is the access to wisdom, that it comes from God, and there's a humility in that. We see that God blesses wisdom. He's pleased with us, and he wants to bless us in that. Now, I, I can't make any promises for all the blessings God's going to give you, but he does promise to bless his children in this. But the third thing I want to look at is that disobedience destroys wisdom. Disobedience destroys wisdom. This is back in verses 1 through 3, where if you start reading this, you think, wait a minute, Solomon... Why is it talking about this in, in one of these, these passages where he's so high and lifted up? In other words, Solomon is put on a pedestal. There's none like unto thee as far as wisdom and riches and all of that. And yet, what do the first three verses say? It says that he made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter. 
That word affinity is the same word in Deuteronomy that we would translate intermarry. And what did God command of his people? Don't intermarry. Don't mix with the foreign people around you, the ones that have false gods. What else? Remember what happened in, in Exodus? The Exodus happened. And where were they exiting out of? They were exiting out of Egypt, of all places. In other words, God said, get out of Egypt. And Egypt, time and time again, is looked at negatively throughout the Bible and is used as a picture, a metaphor of, you don't want to be in Egypt. And yet, what is Solomon doing here? He's, he's making an alliance with Pharaoh, with Egypt, directly. So, what is his disobedience? I'm going to phrase it this way for us. It's... it's Disobedience shows itself, and it's going to destroy wisdom, first of all, with foreign love. Now, we use that term because he was loving someone from Egypt. But, but you and I, it, it may not be, and I'm not meaning this to be someone from a different country. Not at all. The foreign nature of our love is something that is against what God has revealed in his word. In other words, we want... To, we want to love something that God says, don't love that. Or we desire things or go after things that God says, no, I've drawn a line here. And notice that, that wisdom isn't really in play here. In other words, if you're applying what you know about God and trying to apply it to everyday situations, this starts further up the chain. And what I mean by that is this is a direct violation of a clear command of God. It's not like Solomon had to try to figure it out, should I, should I not, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know how to apply this, this verse. No, the verse says don't intermarry people, and what is he doing? He's intermarrying, okay? So it's very clear that his love, even though he did love God, as it says later on in this very same chapter, there was this warning from Deuteronomy that he ignored. And you know what happened? The domino effect. Guess what? The book of First and Second Kings is also based out of. It's based out of the book of Deuteronomy. And God saying, this is what I want you to do. And God keeping his word. And then in First and Second Kings, all of the kings not keeping his, their words. And so when this, this book, First and Second Kings, when these, these books were written, it, most believe it was finished around the time that the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. It was actually written to them to show that God keeps his word even though man doesn't. So God is faithful even though your, your love to him is not always faithful. And that's, that's what it's trying to show here through this, but also giving us a warning that when it comes to God's clear commands, he does want and expect and desire obedience. And if there's disobedience, it's going to destroy even the wisdom we have. How did Solomon's life end? Do you know that there's not much said of it, even though we make a lot about it? In other words, we're in 1 Kings 3. You go all the way to the chapter 11. So we have chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It's not until chapter 11 that it talks of Solomon's failures. First and Second Chronicles doesn't speak at all of Solomon's failures. It just speaks of his greatness. But we come to 1 Kings 11. If you just page over there quickly... And just those first four verses, we see his foreign love. 
for things that God said no to. But King Solomon, 1 Kings 11, loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zodinianites, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. Solomon clave unto the, these in love. His desire, his heart was there. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 porcupine, concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Way too many to deal with is all I have to say. We're going to move on from that. Parents, you can explain that joke later. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, so it notes that this is at the end of his life now, and what we're looking at is at the beginning, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect without the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So love, what we love, can lead us either away from God or to God. And that's the warning here. Remember what Christ said, Matthew six twenty one: for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the question then for you and for me is, what do you love? Who do you love? Because you can get wisdom. God in his graciousness can give you wisdom if you ask for it. He can reveal himself to you. You can apply it to your life. And then you can forget about the very God who gave it to you because of your love for other things. So the warning is, here is be careful what you love. That wasn't his only downfall. It ties right into that as we see. If you go back to chapter 3, in verse 3, it says, And Solomon loved the Lord, back at the beginning of his life, walking only in the statutes of David his father, except, really is the ideal, or only, he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. What is he talking about here? Throughout uh, Israel at that time, the temple was not yet built yet, and so people had set up their own altars to sacrifice to God and their own places, sometimes even temples, and that's what it turned into. And who were they worshiping? Well, at this time, they were trying to worship the one true God, but... They weren't doing it how God told them to. Remember, they had the tabernacle to go to. What did these places turn into? So they started off as just altars and temples to worship the one true God. And we don't have to read very far. And we see that's not what they were used for going forward, right? They quickly devolved because they weren't obeying God. And so what do we see? There's a, there's a foreign love, but there's also a false worship that that love led to. There's a false worship, these, all, these high places. And so even if you have wisdom, this is one of my professors that I'm quoting here. He says, we do not benefit from wisdom that we do not heed any more than Solomon did. Wisdom is God's gift, but wisdom must be heeded. In other words, you can get wisdom, but ignore it. To rely on God's gifts themselves without relying on God himself in the use of these gifts is presumptuous, dangerous, 
and even idolatrous. In other words, if our focus and our love is not going to be directed towards the one who's giving us this wisdom, our worship is also going to be off. And so, in all of this, the question is, what or who do you worship? What captures your attention? What, what consumes your thoughts? Now, there can be good things that God has given you that you can praise him for. Like this week, I found a really good deal on Craigslist on an air compressor so I could blow my sprinklers out. What a blessing. But guess what? One day, my house is going to burn down or fall over, and that air, air compressor is going to rust out, and there's going to be nothing left. So yes, I thank God for that, that little thing, but I have to remind myself, that's not really what's important. That's not what I want to worship. So as we close, I want to leave you with, with these thoughts. If we're going to have heavenly wisdom in a heathen world, humility is the access to that wisdom. God blesses it when we do ask him for wisdom. Disobedience, though, is going to destroy that wisdom. So what do I need? What do you and I need? We need humility. We need God's blessing. We need to be walking in obedience with love. We need God himself. And Colossians speaks much of this when we ask the question, where do I find it? Where am I going to find wisdom? Because we find that in the New Testament, Colossians gives a lot of info on this topic of wisdom as well. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, says that in whom, that is talking about Christ specifically, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, if you want this heavenly wisdom, Christ is where you need to go. Christ is the one that you have to have a relationship with. That's where it's going to be found. And then, therefore, in the next chapter, the admonition is to also find this revealed Christ in his word. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So wisdom is found in Christ. Christ is revealed in the word. Make sure that your love and your worship are aligned to him in his ways. And then uh, don't go about wisdom like the world does. Humbly ask God for his wisdom. Not your own, not others. Do you want heavenly wisdom in a heathen world? Solomon gives us both a positive and a negative examples of how to go about that. So may the Lord help us even this week to live a life where we're seeking him and his wisdom.